everybody. This is Bill and Dan, and we wanted to start the show a little differently this week due to some events that happened um, within the Star Trek fan community for one of our listeners. Um, in fact, one of our longtime listeners and one of our early contributors to Camp Kittimer, Eric Cohn, passed away suddenly uh, this past week. And we wanted to take a moment to talk about that and to certainly uh, honor him for just a moment. Dan, um, you and I talked a little bit about this this week, and we're both pretty stunned. Yeah, very stunned. That's an understatement. Uh, uh, Eric was a, a contributor to the to Camp Kittimer, as you mentioned, had a very signature look about him with that cowboy hat that he always had on. And one of the things that I always thought was great is after we did our animated series podcast a couple months back and had that artwork of you and I done as an animated series character, he was thrilled to share that he had the same thing done with his picture. Uh, and I just thought it looked great. It's just a very sad uh, time for uh, all of the people that knew him, seen him at conventions, uh, really no words to express our sympathy to friends, family, and everybody in the Star Trek community. I think that one of the things that's undeniable is was his passion for Star Trek. I mean, you know, every time we turned around, he was contributing something to Camp Kittimer that was fantastic. And man, what a huge fan of the novels he was too. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you one thing. I think I mentioned this to you, but I haven't really told anybody else. I was very disappointed the other day in myself because I was going through stuff when I got back from my trip to Disney and, and, uh, I was going through, uh, my Facebook IM page and I noticed that I had an unread message and I didn't realize it, that it had been there for a while. Um, and I read it and it was from Eric from back in July to thank me and you, um, for such a great episode on Star Trek Beyond, and he had some thoughts about the space station, which we had discussed, and I just felt miserable that I had not seen it, and now it's too late for me to respond. Well, you know, I take some solace in the fact that that he loved Star Trek and talking about Star Trek so much that, you know, he took the time out of his day to share his thoughts with us, as he mm -hmm. did often. Right. So um, I, I'd like to pause personally for a few moments right now for a moment of silence for a friend and and listener and fellow trekkie gone far too soon folks if you suffer from depression or if you know somebody who suffers from depression as i have in the past please know that people are out there to help people care and please reach out. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Enjoy the show. Biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. This is the Trek Geeks Podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. And, well, you know, joining me as he always does is my illustrious co-host. You know, in the man trap, Dr. McCoy has the nickname of Plum. And if I were to give my co-host the nickname, it would probably be Corpse Flower. Because, like that plant... He has one shining moment every decade or so, and he smells really bad doing it. He's the pungent Dan Davidson. Welcome aboard, buddy, or maybe I should just start calling you CF. Wow. Okay. I'll just keep calling you SB, and we won't tell anybody what that's all about. <laughs> uh, it's great to be here. You know, you've already stolen some of my thunder for the show, man. I was going to call you Plum halfway through the episode. <laughs> Guess I won't now. Maybe I'll just call you Dumb. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell I've missed you? I've been traveling. You've been traveling. We're back together. It's fun. Woo. <laughs> I, uh, I take that as, you know, a, a benefit you know, or a good thing compared to what you've called me just today. <laughs> 
yes, we did have some good conversation online today. It's always fun having if, – if people could see what we say to each other, they would think that we have been trying to murder each other for years. <laughs> or they'd be grossly offended. <laughs> <laughs> well, buddy, uh, today we kick off episode 77, and we're going to talk about the, the episode that started it all. All of it. Yes. The Man Trap. Great episode. Lots to talk about. Uh, some good, some bad. I think you'll agree as well. Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, this was an episode that uh, we watched recently mm-hmm. um, as part of the group watch. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But, uh, you know, it, it was an interesting choice to kick off Star Trek. And we'll talk a bit about that, too. Um, for now, we should talk about how people can get in touch with us so that they can give us their comments, feedback, suggestion, and nicknames for you. Nick, like the Dan Trap. No? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, this yes. on podcast is the Dan Trap. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, as always, our handle is Trek Geeks. You can also send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com. Or you can call us at 508-784-1701. Leave us a voicemail there. Or go to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks and leave us a message there as well. Also, as always, you can join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Always good discussion going on. New people coming in every day. You're going to get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast just for being a member of that Camp Kittimer group. It's awesome. Uh, so to join the group, just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And uh, Bill, just remember that any comments or messages you leave uh, in any of these places are going to be used in a future episode. That's my Bill Belichick impersonation. <laughs> We're on. We're on to news. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad. I appreciate all of that. That's my pleasure. Um, as a, as a wrap up from last week, we did our embracing the winds episode and we had a couple of things that we meant to mention, but, um, forgot. Yeah. It was such a, uh, it was so much stuff going on in that episode, our episode that we just kind of, uh, left a couple of things up, uh, off the chart, uh, so to speak. But, uh, I did want to give my heartfelt congratulations to director James Kerwin for another amazing direction that he did for the episode. Uh, he also co-wrote the episode. Just a fantastic job, man. We are so proud to be uh, uh, friends of yours and to see this magic that you continually work. Wow. Yeah. I'm that not going to praise really you good. like that. I'll tell you that. No, you never praise me. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, James did an amazing job, as he always does. Um, you know, just a, an effort that we truly loved. And uh, we... Can't wait to see more. Oh, yes. You know? Yeah. We also have to um, say that, you know, they, as Vic teased on our show one of the last times he was on, they were using a set that we haven't seen since the original series. Right. And that courtroom looked absolutely amazing. So, I mean, congratulations and great job to the set construction folks over at Star Trek Continues. They just, They killed it. You know, the other thing that's interesting in regards to that courtroom is – what that courtroom was before it became the courtroom. Cause we saw the area that became the courtroom and it's amazing that they were able to do what they did. I know. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, anyway, uh, kudos all around on a great episode and, um, here's to the future. Dan, it's time for the news from our friends at treknews.net. <laughs> what, what was, where's the... Oh, sorry. Great job, buddy. Great job. Glad to see your head's in the game. Always. Well, Dan, up first in news, hopefully you're ready for this. It looks like Star Trek Beyond is coming to DVD and digital download even sooner. Yeah, this was pretty cool. I I like how this is happening for streaming and digital. Uh, digital, I should say, not streaming. But uh, they announced this week that Star Trek Beyond is going to be available for digital viewing 
as early as next week, October 4th, it's going to be uh, out uh, digitally, which is awesome. Uh, if you want to buy the DVD, the Blu-ray, the 3D Blu-ray, the 4K, etc., etc., you're going to need to wait until November 1st, and that will be available then. Uh, also, if you're going to purchase Star Trek Beyond, as Bill likes to call it, at Target, they are going to offer an exclusive extra disc chock full of features and behind-the-scenes stoof. That's amazing. I mean, other places I know like Walmart and Best Buy have certain like ship add-ons. Mm-hmm. I think some of them are having the Franklin you know, yes. special model. But Target is the only retailer with the extra bonus disc of special feature content. So that they kind of did this with In a Darkness, too. It makes it a really tough choice on which one I'm going to buy. I'm going to – they're going to make me go buy Target stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's not like it's, you know, Walmart or the dollar store. <laughs> doesn't matter where you get it. You're going to have another Star Trek thing in your library. <laughs> yes, or maybe two. Ah, there you go. I um. So here's a question for you. Will you buy the digital download when it becomes available next week? Yes. As a matter of fact, I will because uh, for years and years, of course, I've been building up my DVD collection. Uh, but recently, uh, my lovely wife and I decided that what's the point of having that extra stuff hanging around on shelves. So we have started to go digital only for a lot of things. Uh, just recently purchased three or four movies uh, digitally, one of them being uh, uh, Captain America Civil War, which was awesome, by the way. So yeah, we're going digital. So I think next week I'll be watching Star Trek Beyond without you. I'll, no, I'll probably do that too. But So will you also buy a physical copy? No, I doubt it. I don't think I will. Um, just the digital will be enough. Yeah, that's this will be the first one you've done that for. For Star Trek, yes, it will. Yeah. It absolutely, will be. Yep. You want to talk so, about it? So now I might have to get it just because you reminded me of that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm here to just help line Paramount's pockets. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> nice, Dan. You, if you recall, recently we had a special guest on this here podcast to talk about his new crowdfunding effort, which has launched. Do you remember yes. his name? Uh, I do. It's Manu Interame, buddy. <laughs> That's so close. <laughs> Why? What is it? Manu Interame. Manu. What did I say? Manu? Manu. See, yeah. I can, I, I'm always going to screw it up. I even have it phonetically showing on my screen. Yeah, Manu Interame. It's just because I get so excited because we like talking to him and his project looks so cool. Uh, he was a guest uh, on the Trek Geeks podcast for episode 54, so over 20 episodes ago. That's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? I know. Tell me about it. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about the, the circuit, which is uh, uh, in full swing. Their Kickstarter launched uh, about a week or so ago. Uh, they've already uh, brought in over $22,000 as we record this evening. So uh, if you guys are interested in checking out the circuit and, and donating, go to the Kickstarter website and uh, uh, donate away. Click. Give them some money. Let them uh, finish the project. It's a very unique project, convention-oriented, and some really cool – lots of cool guests actually are going to be uh, involved in this project. Uh, Tim Russ, uh, Robert Beltran, Gigi Edgeley, Armin Shimmerman, Walter Kane. Terry Farrell, just to name a few. There's a whole bunch of them. They're all listed on the Kickstarter website. So uh, check them out, man. And listeners, too, if you want to. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun, quite honestly. It is. It does look like it's going to be a lot of fun. And when you go to their Kickstarter page, they have like a little movie at the very top. And it's it really is a riot. And it was done very, very well. So check it out. I think you'll like it. Excellent. And then lastly, we have a housekeeping item. Um it appears that while you were on vacation, the uh, documentary for the love of Spock from Adam Nimoy was released. Mm. Uh, we both watched it, but we haven't talked about it. So we thought we'd just talk about it really quickly before we move on to man trap. Um, you finally got to watch the whole thing, right? No, I actually haven't been able to watch the whole thing because it did come out when I was on vacation and I've been so busy catching up on stuff since I got home. I'm about, I'd say a half hour or so into it. As a matter of fact, I paused it just uh, when our friends Heather and Claire were seen for the first time and talking as when I last paused it. Uh, very excited to see them in the documentary. But uh, so far, it's been really great. I've really enjoyed what I've seen. You've seen the whole thing, though, haven't you? I did. I, I watched it... Uh, the day before it came out, because donors got a free digital copy on uh, on Vimeo, and I did like it. Okay. I kind of loved it a little bit, but I, uh, I, I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I don't want to say I was disappointed, because I wasn't really, 
but I was hoping for just a little more. Okay. There were parts of it that seemed more about the relationship between Adam and Leonard than they were necessarily about Leonard and Spock. Gotcha. And I, I understand that that kind of has to happen to some degree with this movie. I get it. But I, I thought that maybe it focused a little too squarely on that in, in particular parts of the film. Now, that's not to say it's not a great film because it's wonderful. I mean, it talks about so many great things about Leonard's life, you know, some of which we've known and some of which we've never known, you know, that I am, I'm thankful for that look in, you know, to that world. I appreciate the work that everybody put into it. I'm glad that all the donors like you and me helped to make it happen. Mm -hmm. It's just that, it's that one thing. There were clearly times where it's about for the love of Adam and Spock. Yeah. Than it is just Spock. And then the other thing is that I was really kind of hoping this would be narrated by Zach Quinto. Like yeah. early on, it was originally announced that it was going to be. Now, I know mm -hmm. schedules change. Perhaps the narrative of the piece changed when, you know, Leonard and Adam's relationship, you know, that story began to be told a little more. But uh, again, it's, I don't want to take anything away from it. This is just my personal thoughts. Yeah. I will watch it again. I will enjoy it again. But there's just that one, you know, that sort of unresolved piece for me that I, I wish it had been just slightly different. Okay, well that's fair. Um, I am um, I'm looking forward to finishing it, and I will definitely keep those thoughts in mind as I'm uh, as I'm as I'm watching it to see if I agree or if I think you're whacked. <laughs> <laughs> and that email address again is trekgeeks at starfleet.com. <laughs> Let's get into our main segment this week, buddy. It's uh, it's kind of one that's been about 50 years in the making, kind of like our Trek 50 episode, but uh, the Man Trap, the episode that started it all. It really is. Uh, it really is a fun episode. I gotta say, for first season, very early, earliest is is in terms of when it was actually seen on TV. It's one of my favorites in terms of if it, if I'm flipping through the stations and it's on, I'm gonna stop and watch it. If I'm going on Netflix and I want to pick a particular episode, it's always one that I'll grab if I think of it or if I see it listed in the episodes. If I'm in season one, it's a fun episode. You know, when I started rewatching. TOS before STLV this past year. You know, I'd watch it on Saturday mornings and I'd tweet a photo and, you know, uh, of, of the episode I was watching at the time. And this was one of the first ones I put on because, you know, it's, it's pivotal. Mm -hmm. You know, without this episode, maybe we don't have Star Trek. True. You know, we, um, I, it had been a long time since I've watched it myself, I have to admit, before that. And I forgot that there was so much in there to appreciate, in addition to maybe some other things that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. Um, we did do a 50th anniversary group watch online using the site Rabbit, which was really kind of cool. Um, we'd never done anything like this before, and we essentially all watched my Netflix where I dialed up the man trap, and it was pretty awesome. It looked like you guys had a great time. Now, again, everything seemed to happen when I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago. You did this um, while I was down at Disney. I did get to jump on real quick. It took me about 15 minutes to actually get it set up uh, on my iPad and then being able to get in the right room. But there were a lot of people there, man, and a lot of conversation going on. And I was thrilled to see the turnout that, that you had for that uh, event. It was very cool. I want to say there were about 30 people or so, which, you know, is a, a nice small group. I don't, uh, there were other people who tried to get in and couldn't, which is unfortunate. We mm -hmm. don't know if that was a limitation of the tool, but we essentially watched the man trap and chatted the whole way. It was great. Um, maybe we'll do something like that in the future, but it helped me realize, or not realize, but appreciate the sense of community mm -hmm. that Star Trek sort of helped kick off. And we kind of have to give this episode that credit to some extent. I think you're right, and and this was the, actually the sixth produced episode, if I'm remembering correctly. 
It was the first one that was actually televised. So you're thinking if the other first few episodes had already been produced and were ready to be shown back in 1966. You got to wonder what made him think to use this particular one to be the first one. Cause you had, if it was in the right order, you had Charlie X, uh, where no man has gone before the naked time. Uh, those were all very early episodes, one through five. Um, the cage, of course, the first pilot that they didn't, they didn't actually show, uh, very interesting choice for those first, for that first episode based on what they had to choose from. I have to agree with you there. I mean, some of those other episodes, I think, could have been equally as interesting. Um, certainly a little less creature of the week, like mm. this episode is. But we're going to talk about that as we you know, talk about the pros and cons and their general reaction to the plot. Um, at this juncture, normally I would ask you if you're ready for the three-minute recap. But that duty this week falls to somebody else, doesn't it, Dan? It does. As executive producer, you made the decision that you would do it this week. No, I'm just kidding. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I, actually, I, I actually did request that you do this one this week because I wanted to hear your tones for a change. I'm tired of listening to myself, so I can only imagine what all our millions of listeners are thinking. So Here's the thing. <laughs> this isn't a brand new episode. <laughs> You know, so it's not like we did with Embracing the Winds last episode where we have to do a complete recap to explain what happens. People have been watching this episode for 50 years, <laughs> okay? Yeah. So you're going to get a very condensed Reader's Digest recap that kind of thumbnails what this is about. But you know what? What's that? It's going to sound great. <laughs> One might say mellifluous. <laughs> One might. <laughs> So do you have your chronometer ready? Hold on. Let me get it set up right here. I got it right here. Tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. Are you ready, sir? I am. I'm ready when you are. Okay. Here we go. The Enterprise arrives at planet M113 where they encounter the craters who are uncovering a bunch of ruins from some dead people. And Mrs. Nancy Crater used to be Dr. McCoy's girlfriend. Imagine that. Something's really not right, though. Everybody sees her differently. I don't mean like her character. I mean like her physical appearance. Oh, and she wants salt. Like lots of salt. Huh. Turns out it's not Nancy Crater at all. It's some kind of salt vampire, and she's sucking the salt out of every body she can because that's what she feeds on to stay alive. Well, fast forward. Some stuff happens. The craters wind up on the Enterprise, and hey, by the way, Nancy can also change shapes and appearances. <laughs> wow. Turns out she's the last of her kind. Who knew? Some more people die because of the whole salt thing. Kirk figures it out, but McCoy doesn't really want to believe it. Nancy even tries to kill Kirk, and McCoy kind of freezes up. Spock comes in and gets his chronometer cleaned, and McCoy eventually pulls out a phaser, killing Nancy the salt vamp, who doesn't look a whole lot like Nancy anymore. Eek. <laughs> the Enterprise goes along its way and adventures ensue for, oh, the next 78 episodes or so, give or take. End That's scene. It. Wow. I'm impressed. How was that? One minute, 23.25 seconds. I told you it would take me less than two minutes. <sighs> well, I'm not even going to touch that one. But congratulations. That was awesome, <laughs> man. Very good. Very well finally done. wins the prize. <laughs> I love it. So, like I said, we all know the plot. We all know the plot. So, Dan, tell me some of your favorite elements of this episode. I love Professor Crater. I think he's hilarious. Really? I, I, because he's so ridiculous. Oh, look, we'll kill to be alone. I just, I mean, he's just a freak. Um, and he reminds me of my dentist. <laughs> what? <laughs> he does. He looks like my dentist to me. <laughs> You're killing me. I just think that his character is so out there, literally way out here on this planet. Um, and the whole idea of the salt, uh, it's, it's just a, a kooky episode, but it wasn't supposed to be kooky. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes perfect <laughs> sense. I think that the thing that surprises me about this was that Gene's rewrite for the final draft actually toned down a lot of the emotional aspects of the McCoy relationship with Nancy 
to get a more, you know, like straightforward plot. Mm -hmm. And I think that that kind of makes this episode almost seem like a bunch of other 60s space TV shows. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I thought it was funny that um, Nancy, when she was with Dr. McCoy, just kind of, even though it's a salt creature, she just kind of threw away the fact that she was married. And she's like, oh, I like your feelings better. I thought that was hilarious, first of all. <laughs> and McCoy's just like, okay. <laughs> but I will say the one, th- one of the things that I didn't like about this episode was that for the middle section – it was just a lot of the creature wandering the halls as a different looking person chewing on its finger. It, I'm chewing on my finger right now. <laughs> I, I think that that's definitely a weakness for this particular episode. Although there are interesting things that happen while that's going on, like mm-hmm. the whole Sulu and uh, Yeoman Rand scene. Yes. With the the flower slash the, puppet. The giant hand plant? Yeah, the hand plant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, trivia question. What's its name, Bill? Oh, is, is oh this come on. I run Stump the Geek. Oh, oh, wow. It's got a stupid name. That's all I remember. Okay, my wife just whispered it to me. She even knows. <laughs> Borgard? Yeah, I wouldn't have remembered that. Wow. That's, I'm so upset. Dude, that's why I ask the questions. If I had asked you, you would have gotten it. Now it'll never be on Stump the Geep. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> oh, funny stuff. I um, I have to say one of the things that I like, despite the laughable sound effects and the editing, are when Kirk and Spock are on the planet and Crater, sorry, uh, the Mr. Crater, Dr. Professor Crater, whatever he is, <laughs> has the cage era phaser. Yes, very nice. And is firing off blasts in their direction. Mm-hmm. I have to love that scene because you really see Kirk and Spock in the thick of it and working together. And I think it speaks to who those characters are. Right off the bat for the first episode, I agree. Yeah. Yep. Because I don't think we do see that in other episodes that were numbered earlier. Like, for example, where no man has gone before. Yes. I don't think you see that relationship as much as you do in this. And this was the first episode that, that people saw in 1966. Well, in that episode, he counsels him that he's got to kill Gary Mitchell. Yeah. Yep. But you don't get that sense of, you know, we're in this together. Let's get out of this. Mm-hmm. Let's work together to you know, survive mm-hmm. that you do in Man Trap. Not at all. I also You, you talked about the editing and, and stuff going on on the planet. Probably one of the funniest moments in Star Trek history is that ricochet sound when they stun Professor Crater. <laughs> and then he sounds like he's high. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We're going to talk about that later at some point. Don't you worry. <laughs> because that never happens again either in Star Trek history. No. Where you get stunned and you start sounding like Lurch from Adam's Family or whatever show that was on. <laughs> it sounded like he just dropped some acid. <laughs> he looked like it too. It's the 60s. Who knew? <laughs> That's right. You know, one of the other things that has always made me wonder about the salt vampire or the creature, whatever you want to call it, was when it transforms into the crewman talking to Uhura and starts speaking Swahili. Mm. Because we don't see that kind of connection with anybody else. It's like a it's like a mental connection somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It almost you know kind of reminded me, you know, in vampire lore how vampires can glamour. Mm-hmm. It made me wonder if that was, you know, part of that essence, if that's what they intended to do with that particular scene. Right. You know, because Uhura gets called away. because Otherwise, she's going to be the next victim. Right, because she's in the trance at one point, which is, is interesting that you pointed out that vampire lore. I think that's why people tend to call it the salt vampire, because it does have that trance type whatever it is that, that she throws on you. It happened to Ahura. It happened to Kirk, obviously. Um, so yeah, absolutely. What else, uh, what else do you like about Man Trap? I do like, um, I, I, in a funny way, I like the Borgia plant a piece of styrofoam that gets taken out of the crewman's mouth. <laughs> and then in the scene right after that, it's still in Kirk's hand and it's about 20 times bigger than it was when it took it out of the guy's mouth. So I thought that was pretty funny. 
um, but it wasn't the Borgia plant that, that killed him. That, that's right. And that, that red model, modeling on his face. That's, that's another right. thing, modeling. I always thought that was kind of interesting. I just like the I like the idea of of the mystery of this episode, trying to figure out what's going on and how Spock has an idea and he thinks that McCoy might be the creature uh, when they're in the briefing room. I think it was a good way to introduce uh, several of the characters uh, when it first was seen in 1966. Uh, I like the snarkiness that McCoy has with Kirk uh, after the autopsy of the first victim. Jim, don't tell me my business is no man. That that whole line, I really thought that that was interesting that you're able to see a ship surgeon talk to the captain like that and it's not a big deal. Yeah, and you see lesser glimpses of that, I think, later on in the first season. Mm -hmm. But it definitely sets a tone between McCoy and Kirk. And I think it, I think it defines McCoy's character very well to the point where I almost think He's the best defined character in this episode. Yes, I agree with that too. And in the on the same uh, on the other hand, in that same scene, you see the respect for command that McCoy has when Kirk starts giving him a hard time and how oh, your lost love affects your vision, Doctor. Doesn't bother me. I want to know what killed the man. That whole scene, and he's like, "Oh, sorry, yes, sir." I thought it was a good. I guess I don't know if dichotomy is the right word, but it was a good. Um, you know, he can be this way, but then he knows when he needs to be quiet. I thought that was a good uh, building of his character right from the very beginning. I'm sorry. Could you, could you do that Kirk impersonation again? <laughs> was it good? Yeah, it was good. How your lost love affects your business and doesn't interest me, Doctor. I've lost a man. I want to know what killed him. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Dan Davidson, everybody. We'll be here all week. I, um, you know, in, in watching this, and I had to watch this a couple of times because I always feel like there's something I'm missing. But I, I have to say that one of the scenes that I probably like the least is the one where Nancy, or Nancy Vamp, as we should call her, <laughs> Um, essentially doses McCoy. He gives with him the, roofies. With the pills? Yes. I like how he had a bottle of tranquilizers just sitting next to his bed. I thought that was kind of interesting, too. And they look like gumdrops or something, or gumballs. I think it made me wonder if he had a whole collection there. He just picks up a bottle and it's full. He's like, oh, I'll just take one of these. <laughs> yeah, and it sure worked fast. And she, he, he takes one and then he's like, blah, blah, and he's like, blah. <laughs> Well, and then he was out for what seemed like the better part of a day. <laughs> and the good news is at least they've cured that whole ambient hangover. Thing. <laughs> this is a good episode. Fat <laughs> man. One thing I found out for the first time in all the times that I've watched this, I watched it yesterday. I rewatched it with my wife and we're watching. When Spock is in sick bay after he got um, attacked, when we didn't see him get attacked by McCoy Vamp. Yeah. He had a cut on his head. Yes. He's got red blood there. You know what? I noticed that in the group watch, and I meant to write it down, and I didn't. Yep. It makes he, me wonder if they hadn't come up with the whole green blood well, slash copper thing. I thought the same thing, but when I said that out loud, Susan said, yeah, but there's green around there, too. And there was. It was like green makeup splots around the red scratch, which I thought was interesting. That really is interesting. Uh, so, well, speaking of little bits of trivia, um, we see Uhura in a red uniform in this episode. Mm -hmm. But then we're going to see her in gold for the next couple. Yep, Corbin might maneuver, <laughs> which I said correctly. Thank you. You did for once. <laughs> I may not get what's his name's name right, but you know, I'm working at it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you know, she and also in Mud's women. Yes, she wears gold. That's interesting. It's nice to see her in her red, even though it goes away and then comes back because of the way NBC decided to run the episode. <laughs> um, speaking of a horror, this is the episode that I've always loved the non Vulcan response that Spock gives when a horror is flirting with him, which we see ties of, of course, in the JJ verse when she's asking what it's like when Vulcan's moon is full and he's sitting there fixing his collar like he's uncomfortable. That's a, that's a great memory of, of early Spock because you don't see that very often. 
Well, and it sets forth a piece of canon that gets ignored for the next 50 years. Exactly. And that's that Vulcan has no moon. <laughs> Just another planet, but, you know, moon, planet. Yeah, at least he's not a moon shuttle conductor. Oh, nice. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Very good. And it's interesting. Uh, one of the callbacks we missed in Embracing the Winds actually comes from the man trap. Uhura's reading the message back from the starship base on Corinth 4. That's right. Oh, base geez. commander Dominguez says that he has the supplies they urgently need. Yeah. And now the response afterward is rather unfortunate in today's day and age. But I thought that that was interesting to just bring that up. That's very good. Nice job, man. Did you catch that one the last time you were watching? Uh, I did, actually. Very good. I'm proud of you. Yeah. You know. You get Beauregard next time, and you'll be all right, pal. <laughs> Why don't you go chase an asteroid? <laughs> There's another line from the episode. Very there you good. go. You're, wow. You're zippy. <laughs> yeah. We also um we also get a reference to the great bird of the galaxy in the man. Yes, we do. Yes, when uh, Rand is bringing oh, – when Rand is bringing uh, – when she's bringing lunch to Sulu but is eating it when she's getting on the turbo lift and slaps the green's hand. Yeah. <laughs> Slaps his hand, but she's eating the celery with the red stuff on the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Thanks, Janice. Really appreciate that. <laughs> I um so tell me what you thought of the creature itself. In terms of the way it looked or just in terms of what how they treated it or or everything. We'll, we'll start with appearance and then we're gonna go into its perception. Okay. And then how they treated it. So let's start with appearance. That is one ghastly looking creature. Yes. Even though it's in the 60s and you know it's a suit and it's hairy and it's got that net outfit on. Back in the 60s or when you're a young kid in the 70s and you see that, it's a good thing I didn't see that one first instead of the Gorn because I don't know what kind of reaction I would have. That is a bad-looking creature. I can't remember the first time I saw that creature, but I'm pretty sure it scared the daylights out of me. Yeah. I mean, because it, I couldn't have been any older than seven. Maybe. Yeah. Well, it's about, yeah, you're old. So, um, <laughs> and the idea of that it's got the suckers on its hand and, and it's got that mouth with the teeth, you would think that would be pretty scary of itself, but it's able to draw the salt out the way that it does, like a giant octopus hand monster. Yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that's good. You know, we joke about how fake the costumes look in Star Trek, but that, that one really, uh, is, is kind of creepy. Well, I think that in TOS, some of the creature work was just amazing. Like this, like the Magatu. Mm -hmm. And some of it was, it looked good from a distance, but didn't necessarily have the mobility. And I'm speaking, of course, about the Gorn cause. Right. Do you think that, uh, we saw pictures of this uh, when Beyond was being produced, and there was an image of, of an alien going around from Star Trek Beyond. And I don't recall seeing it in the movie, but people were referring it to JJ's version of the salt vampire. Did you ever see that picture? And do no. you agree? Oh, you don't, you haven't seen it. No, I'll send it over to you. It's much different, but it's got the sucker hands and it's got the funny looking mouth. And it's, it's, it's of course, today's technology. It looks much more vicious, but uh, I'll have to send it to you and maybe we'll post it so that people can uh, vote whether they think it is the uh, Jade. Uh, I'm sorry. The, um, Kelvin universe version of the salt vampire. That would be really interesting. All right. I would love to see that photo. I'll, I'll make sure it gets on Camp Kittimer. Okay. That sounds yes. great. Okay. So let's talk about the perception of the creature. You know, it's, it's Professor Crater that equates it to the buffalo. And I don't know if I think that that's a very fair comparison. In what way? Well, you know, he talks about how the herd of buffalo spanned several states at one point, but the buffalo were essentially hunted to extinction, right? Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily know that that's what happened to the salt vampire. We don't, but that's only because he doesn't go into detail as to what killed them all. It's quite possible that when he let this creature live, that they had a relationship where they talked and maybe she or it explained what actually happened to them. So he may have been talking correctly. We just don't know if that's the case. Well, right. I mean, he could have easily picked any one of a number of species that were either close to gone or gone. Mm -hmm. 
He could pick the dodo bird. The humpback whale. Have had the same, right. The humpback whale. I don't think that it would have had the same dramatic effect necessarily as the buffalo. Mm-hmm. Something so uniquely American. But it just, you know, it's, it was just the kind of thing that didn't always rub me the right way because, well, we went from a whole bunch of salt vampires down to one and we have no idea what killed them because the only other thing on the planet is Professor Crater. True. That's right. The civilization is long since gone. Did they die of starvation because they fed on all of the people who were there? Or are those ruins salt vampire ruins? Are they intelligent? Obviously, they're intelligent creatures. Maybe that's their whole history that they're digging through. Right. Yeah. You know, you don't know. No, we don't know. Starfleet have done a little recon on this. Well, that's part <laughs> of the problem with this episode, which I think we'll get into, um, as to the, oh, what's the best way to describe it? The assumptions that are made in this movie that are grossly bad. Yeah. We'll get to that next. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the treatment of the creature before we get into the assumptions, you know, from the episode in general. Um, I'll let you start first with that. Why don't you give me your, your thoughts off the top of your head on the, how the creature was treated and its fate? I think the way that the creature was treated by Professor Crater was actually kind of admirable when you think about it. Killed his wife, and yet he let it live. And then, you know, Kirk could have been exaggerating with how he described what happened. Is this, they, they developed a relationship, whatever kind of relationship it was. He didn't kill the creature that killed his wife. So that's kind of admirable on his part. And there may have been different reasons for that. But once uh, the Enterprise and the crew get involved, uh, it's, it's kind of embarrassing to be a human with the way they treat it, to be honest with you. Well, you know, this is one of the things that, you know, as an adult, as I watch this episode, that kind of makes me scratch my head because, you know, Gene did a rewrite for this episode. And this was one of the things that stayed in there. You know, we, we get to the Corbomite maneuver, you know, uh, what's the phrase that Mission Log always uses? You know, this is who we say we are. Mm-hmm. You know, when they go back and they help Baylock. Right. Yet, just a couple of episodes before that, they have to kill the salt vampire. Right. For And for what reason? There's no understanding. There's no let's find out about this this last of its kind. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no let's communicate with it. Not, here's a big bunch of salt we replicated. We'll give it to you. Please just talk to us. Exactly. That Exactly. Yep. I um, it, it's a, it just turns into a hunting mission just because they need to be the good guys to kill the scary monster. Do you think that that was on purpose. I think it could have been. Um, look at the time frame we're looking at back in '66. Uh, you know, you got the B movies, Creature from the Black Lagoon. That might have been a little earlier. I can't remember what when that came out. But monster movies were big back then. Um, this new space TV show is coming out, and they want to make a bang right off the bat. Uh, a bang off the bat, uh, and so it's nice. quite possible. You know. I understand, you know, wanting to create something that's going to catch people. I really do. And, I mean, this episode does that. It does it very well. But when you consider just a few episodes later, it does something 180 degrees out of phase from what occurs in this episode, it kind of makes me scratch my head as a as a lifelong Star Trek fan. Right. That this caught on <laughs> because of this. It's it's kind of it's kind of a little scary when you think about it, isn't it? If it was a oh, what's it, and the children shall lead was the first episode. Let's say, <laughs> try not to laugh too hard. The show would never have made it. <laughs> it would never have made it. Right? It needed to look at what they do today. Um, uh, movies have to make a huge killing the first weekend, or they're never going to make it. This is that nineteen sixty six version of that man. I suppose you're right about that, you know. Well, and the other thing, too, is that it's not Kirk that kills the creature. Mm-hmm. It's not Spock who kills the creature. It's mm-hmm. not a red shirt. It's the doctor. Hippocratic oath, indeed. Now, granted, he had some emotional stake on the line here, but as soon as he saw that that wasn't really Nancy or couldn't even be Nancy before she morphed into the vamp, at some point he's got to go, yeah, something about this isn't right. My still- friend is in danger. He still hesitated. 
Look what happened to Kirk when he hesitated with the salt vamp with the uh, uh, space vampire cloud. The cloud, yeah. <laughs> well, and that brings up a really good point. You know, they, they kind of use that device again a little later on, and that's right. fine. But I think the thing that surprised me the most was the way they chose to resolve this conflict. Here's a here's an interesting question, which I don't know if you've thought of. Take this episode, the same beginning of the episode, where they beam down, they have to do whatever they find this creep. Somebody's been killing crew members. Make it the next generation with Picard. What do you think happens? Oh wow! Totally different episode totally because different. Picard is the politician and the negotiator captain. That would never have been like this in Next Generation. Oh, never. Yeah. Well, you will even take a look at Armis. Exactly. You know, Armis kills Tasha Yar and just wants to be a malevolent, you mm-hmm. know, slime puddle. <laughs> Hashtag malevolent slime puddle. <laughs> Um, you know, it's it, Picard handles that very differently than Kirk handles this or ever would. It, it, it's amazing how when you look at television back in the 60s and even 70s and maybe even early 80s and the difference now from the thought process based on what's going on in society. This is another one of those episodes that kind of all ties together with what's going on at the times, I think. Uh, you know, you've got, um, you know, these, uh, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to put into words, I think. No, I think you're right about that. I think it is a, a pure reflection of entertainment mm-hmm. in addition to the world that it was crafted in. Um, let's talk a little bit about sort of the, the conclusions it draws and, and sort of our reactions to the episode overall. Um, you know, you, you've, you've got some very definite thoughts on what you think about this episode. Yeah, this is, we don't really usually discuss this with Star Trek episodes, but this isn't a definition of Star Trek to me. You don't see them purposely going out to try to kill a creature without any type of explanation or communication. They don't even try to talk to it. Kirk just wants to kill it right away uh, because a couple of his uh, crew have been killed. There's no real thought process, I think, from Kirk as to what his course of action is. And that's really too bad. Is that coming from above, from Starfleet? Uh, We don't know. Or is it just him on a vendetta? Right. And we've talked about it several times how in episodes, just a couple episodes further down the line, it's completely different. It's just, it's, we've talked about how Star Trek, the original series continuity isn't really as good as in other series. And this is a perfect example of that continuity being nowhere to be found. You know, I have to agree with that. Um, Well, not only continuity that we don't find, but characters who were fundamentally different people to some extent. I think. Yeah. Very different character uh, building in this episode than you see in other episodes. I mean, there are elements of the characters we know, obviously, whether it's Kirk, Spock, or McCoy. But the way in which they react to some of these things is is vastly different uh, with all three of them. Yeah, absolutely. I also, even just the, even with the people that get killed, the, the one, the first crewman uh, that gets killed when he sees... Uh, someone from the pleasure planet, just the reaction and, and the subtle flirting that's going on and the not so subtle flirting when she kind of throws her handkerchief at him and then just walks away. It's just, it's just one of those things that just stands out as hilarious, uh, and stuff that, how would that be represented in today's version of television? Well, here's how, here's how it would be represented. <laughs> so here, here's the sixties version. Hey, you look like that, that woman I left behind on that pleasure planet. Translation, 21st century. Hey, you look like that hooker I know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I like it. That's what we're talking about, really. Pretty much. And she's got the little swing of the hip as she's walking away and the look in her eye. And the fakest looking blonde hair wig I think I've ever seen. Either that or had a lot of hairspray. I don't know. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm going (laughs) to kill you now. (laughs) This is also the first time 
that we get to see that unbelievably complicated weave hairdo on Yeoman Rand, the beehive with all the like the the crisscross that's going on in there. That thing is that thing is silly. <laughs> silly? In a good way. Silly crazy. <laughs> so you know, th- this is one of those episodes that I love as Star Trek. But to use that phrase that was coined earlier this year, I don't think it's very Star Trek-y. No, I, d- I don't think it is either. But it's still a great episode, which is kind of funny to hear. It's well, not but, Star Trek, but it's a great episode anyway. Well, but I mean, we say the same thing about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. That's true. You know, there's not a lot of Star Trek in it, but we love it because it's it's a great story told well. Mm-hmm. Here's another discontinuity that I just thought of. In this episode... Uh, they obviously hadn't invented Velcro yet because they've got those leather wrappy things for their phasers and communicators. Cause when Spock gets hit and he falls against the bookshelf, his shirt comes up and it, you can see it right there. You can see it on Kirk earlier, but later on, just a couple episodes down, uh, there, the, there's that Velcro. <laughs> and of course they didn't tell you it was Velcro. <laughs> That's right. No way. <laughs> so, um, I think we both agree that this is an episode we love to watch. Is an episode that that brings us joy as Star Trek fans. Mm-hmm. It's just not one we'd hold up as a, as one of the finest examples of Star Trek. Is that a fair opinion? Uh, that is a perfect opinion from a pretty perfect guy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Ken Race here. <laughs> well, no, it's not John Champion. So take your <laughs> no. pick. No, no, definitely <laughs> not. So Dan, that said, you know, we've talked about the central question about you know how the salt vampire was treated. We've talked about the things we like. I mean, we've you know held up and defended that we actually like this episode. If you had to give it a rating, much like we did for our last episode with the Star Trek Continues, what would you give this episode, just out of curiosity? I would say that I would give this a strong four out of five salt shakers for this episode. <laughs> I liked it. It was good. Four, four out of five salt shakers. <laughs> <laughs> and... Five out of five phaser ricochets. Is that a true statement? (laughs) I like that. I think that I myself would give this four out of five pink Himalayan sea salt lamps. Wow. You had to one up me, didn't you? Uh, Every day, buddy. (laughs) Every day. That's pretty good, man. I like that. I, um, you know, the other thing I just thought of this when Spock comes into the room and he's having to demonstrate to McCoy how much this is not Nancy. And he takes a beating in the process. What? Why didn't McCoy figure it out then? <laughs> because he loves Nancy. Oh my God, Nancy, I love you. Love causes fog <laughs> of well, the brain. Yeah, you know, because Spock, you know, he's he's you know twice as strong as here, or two and a half times as strong, whatever it is. Okay, good. I, I interrupt you there for that. It, yeah. He's strong, and he's beaten, or he's trying to beat the tar out of the the salt creature, but he couldn't grab the phaser out of McCoy's hand when he was having his emotional outburst when he entered the room. Yeah. That's a good grip McCoy must have. Well, and Spock's standing right there. He's like, shoot it. <laughs> why don't you go over and take the phaser from him and shoot it? That <laughs> would be the logical thing to do. If it's GQ4, why doesn't he have a phaser already? <laughs> General quarters. <four>. <laughs> well, it was. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Good pull. That was uh-huh. a good one. You know, <laughs> we we could find little idiosyncrasies with this episode to talk so about, fun. I think, for hours. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, suffice it to say, if this were a see it or skip it, I, this is an absolute see it for me. I don't oh, want to ruin it. Without, <laughs> without hesitation, definite, definite see it. And see it multiple times over and over again. Yeah, definitely. We I, could do uh, another whole episode on the things that we love so much about it that make us laugh. We perhaps should do another group watch of it and make up our own dialogue. Like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 type thing? Totally. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. I think that would be fantastic. All right, get to work on that. <laughs> Whoa, me? <laughs> yeah, clearly, we can't trust you to write things. Wow. 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 On that note. <laughs> well... Here's hoping that, you know, the premiere of Star Trek Discovery in May and subsequent iterations of Star Trek 
make us think as much as this particular episode has. Because it says a lot, even if it's not the most Star Trek of episodes. And I think there's plenty to mine here with regard to the human condition. Exactly. I could not agree more, man. Absolutely. Excellent. Yes. Well, Dan, we're still asking people to rate and review our podcast on iTunes. And did you know that you could win a $25 Amazon.com gift card? I can? Well, not you. Oh. But people who review the podcast. Oh, okay. We're doing quarterly giveaways. This quarter is coming to a close very quickly, so please get your reviews in. You can find out more at itunes.trekgeeks.com. And come on, you can win yourself 25 smackers. And let us know if we're doing good or bad. Let us know if you don't like something. We want to build the show and be exactly what you guys all want it to be. So let us know either way. We don't mind. Uh, Bill's no. got, Bill doesn't have thick skin. I got thick skin. <laughs> I'm, I'm very shallow. I'm very shallow. Thank, thanks. Sorry. Um, thanks. Truth hurts sometimes. <laughs> Speaking of the truth, the truth is that this podcast sounds great. Because of the music of Five Year Mission, let's be honest. Uh, when when are we not honest about Five Year Mission? We love them. We love their music. We're so thankful and and full of gratitude that they let us use their music for each and every episode of this podcast. Please, we we beg you, head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Download every single one of their albums. We know they're working hard on uh, year four right now. This very second, I think. This very moment. Wow. You know, Bill, I got to say something about five-year mission. Oh, boy. You know, I, I talk about Fark a lot, right? Yeah. You know, he's my pal. A little too much. But I, you know I love all the guys in five-year mission all equally. You know that, oh, right? Oh, God. I, no, I'm serious. I'm, I'm making a very serious point right now. I just I want to make sure that both you and Andy know that. I love them all, all equally. I, I just want I, you to know I'm getting ready to do a face palm, right? No, now. no, no, no. I just don't want I don't want Fark to get the wrong idea, you know. You never know. I just don't want him looking for Par Fark in all the wrong places. <sighs> oh. uh, uh, happy birthday, Fark. <laughs> Here's your present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so head on out to fiveyearmission.net, get yourself some some tunes that will not have any of these puns <laughs> and uh please help support them. That's what he's got to do. They got to do a song of all the puns. Yeah, uh, I'm going to email now, them. Yeah, get right on that, would you? <laughs> so Dan, tell us about what we're going to have coming up next week on this here Trek Geeks podcast. On this next time on an all new Star Trek. Th no, that's the wrong commercial. Sorry. Anyway. Um, <laughs> well, as you remember, Bill, and I'm sure all our listeners remember, a couple months ago, we did our Ask Us Anything episode. Do you remember that? No. Okay. Was I there? Yeah. I, I, you pretended you were. But uh, one of the questions that somebody posed was very intriguing, and we didn't include it in that episode because we thought we could do a whole episode on it. So, uh, Next week, we're going to discuss our thoughts on recasting a series. So what series and who would we cast? Well, we're not going to give everything away here today, but next week, we're going to spill all them beans. There's beans? Beans. I like beans. Beans. We have to uh, extend a special thanks to Jason in North Carolina for this particular topic. He was the one who submitted it for Ask Us Anything and... Well, it was Dan's idea to turn it into an episode, so uh, yay team. All right. That's the way to work together, isn't it? Go Camp Kittimer. Woo! Woo! <laughs> uh, please remember, for more great Star Trek discussion, please check out our friends at the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. Some great discussion going over there. They've got about 30 gajillion shows, <laughs> and you're going to love each and every one of them, we assure you. Right, Dan? Absolutely. I, I, every single episode, I'm on it. Pajillions, because that's a real number. It is, actually. It is. Pretty soon, they're going to eclipse us in, in the bajillions department. <laughs> and, of course, for all the latest news on everything Star Trek, please visit treknews.net. For now, this has been Episode 77. That's 7-7 seven, seven of the Trek Geeks podcast. We'll be back next week for 78, and we hope you all live long and prosper. It was the last of its kind. Earth history, remember? 
like the coconut. Once there were millions of them. One bushel covered three whole islands, and when they rolled, it was like thunder. Coconut, the last of its kind. Bing bong. Hey, buddy. What's happening? The Dan Trap. <laughs> no? <laughs> no? Sure. I liked it. So uh, let me tell you something I learned about New Orleans. <laughs> okay. The French Quarter, beautiful as it may be, you know, you see it in movies, you see it on TV. Hell, I saw it tonight on ESPN. Um... Smells like garbage. <laughs> okay. Like literally, and maybe it's because we went like Monday through Thursday. Ugh. That's kind of uh, yeah, lots of garbage. Did you see lots of garbage or did it just was your olfactory senses being hit with garbage sight type it stuff? It was mostly my olfactory senses, but you, you know, there were garbage cans that were closed. Your face is garbage. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't been able to do a face drop in a long time, so that was perfect. Well, and there was at least one instance where it looks like somebody had relieved themselves on the sidewalk. Oh, lovely. In the uh, the more solid form, if you will. <laughs> uh, oh. That's, yeah. That's wonderful. Well, that's probably why I've never been to New Orleans and probably why I'll never go. Um, all in all, not a bad trip. I didn't. Uh, I didn't realize it was for sh- such a short duration. When I saw your post that you were heading back, I was like, "Wow, okay." It was only what f- uh, three full days, three and a half days. Yeah, yeah. Glad you had a good time, though. Thank you. Good to have you back. It's good to be back, jerk. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I hurt your feelings? Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I could, you know, you know, just remind you of how your greeting to me this morning was on I am. I have no idea what you're talking I about. I didn't think you did. Uh, you nah. can't prove anything. <laughs> what you drinking here this evening? Uh, I am actually having a cherry Coke Zero. I, I feel like I'm fending off a bit of a uh, diverticulitis flare up. Oh, yep. And uh, I needed a little caffeine, so here it is. Okay, good, good. Drink up. Wait a minute. What about you, Mon Frere? Wait a minute. Cherry Coke Zero? Doesn't that not have caffeine? I just said I needed caffeine. I thought it didn't have any. No, it's got caffeine. Oh, it just doesn't have sugar? Correctamundo. I see. I see. Well, I'm drinking a margarita with lots of real fresh watermelon chunks in it. Nice. I I started doing that uh, right before Florida, and it is Good. Good. As, as the barbecue pit boys would say, it tastes good. <laughs> I don't think the barbecue pit boys are dealing with chunks of watermelon in their margarita. No, it's probably like sausage and, you know, some hamburger fat. And, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Pulled pork. <laughs> yes. Get that all in there. Mm-mm. So last night on the grill, I, um, I made one of Kelly's favorite things. It is a, a Dijon and herb crusted pork roast with mm-hmm. butternut squash hash. And, Interesting. Uh, oh, it was good. Good. Most of the recipes, you know, last night or yesterday, sometime. I uh, um, worth it. You should try it. I would. I would try that. Um, I know. I told you already, but uh, I'll tell you what. Going, we went to a restaurant up in Freeport the other night. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law surprised us and came up, and we went out to dinner, and I had rabbit. Hassan pfeffer? No, it was a pasta dish, uh, but it had rabbit meat instead of, like, chicken or steak. It had rabbit in it. It was it was good. It was really wow. good. Yeah. This just in. 
Data's still dead. <laughs> Donna! Oh, my Sorry, God! Donna. <laughs> Sorry, Donna. And Alex Trebek was not in Insurrection. <laughs> yeah, where the hell does she think he was in the movie? We're going to have to have her on the show just to talk about it. There's one part where I don't know if it's the main villain or if it's the admirals in the chair getting his skin stretched. Well, obviously, it's not the admiral because when he gets a skin stretch, he dies. But he's getting his skin stretched and stapled. And she swears that one of the guys helping him with that is Alex Trebek in makeup. <laughs> <laughs> What the hell? I'll take no, you're wrong for a hundred, Donna. <laughs> I'll take Schwarge for two hundred. <laughs> uh, no, Mr. Connery, that's S word. <laughs> One of the best. Yes, nothing else gets ever. Yes, that. And we showed um, when they were visiting. We uh, watched the uh, Debbie Downer Disney World. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Skit. Oh my God, that is so good. And then my name is Matt Foley. I am divorced. And I live in a van down by the river. Another of my favorites is uh, John Ham's John Ham. I haven't seen that one. Yep. If it looks like ham, don't wipe your ass with it. Is the tagline. <laughs> okay. I'll have to check that one out. Interesting. All right. 